Okay, let's open our Bibles next chapter 13. And uh, this morning I began a, a series on uh, called Unashamed. I'm going to be following that through on Sunday mornings for a little bit. And, uh, but I'd love you just to believe that God will help you uh, and open your eyes to see where shame has locked around you and actually restricted or limited your capacity to express who you are and to give forth the life of Christ. We're going to show you some keys on it over a few days. But at night time, we're doing a series on the making of a king. And uh, I've just been enjoying that so much because right here, the Bible calls us when we come to Christ, priests and kings. In other words, when you come to Jesus Christ, your identity radically changes. And what happens is most of us don't actually come up with the, the new person we are. We're still living out of the old that we used to be. And we need to come up. God calls us a number of things. He calls us a priest. That means a person who is called, it's your purpose, to come near to God, to minister to him, to access him, to listen to him, receive from him, and have something to give. You're also called to be a king. A king is a person who extends dominion, who rules over something. So every one of us has a realm or an area where God calls us to bring his influence to extend his kingdom. So there are places you go and you walk and you meet people and interact. I will never go. And you are called to advance the work of God in that place. The trouble is so many Christians have been happy and content to come to meetings and consider that that's fulfilling their call of God. No, that isn't calling your call of God. That's positioning yourself to be inspired, to be encouraged. But then you fulfill your call when you go out those doors there. And we need to be connected to that call of God. So what we're doing is we're looking at the life of King David. And we saw in King David's life several things. Well, let's go and pick these verses up because they're very, very good ones in Acts chapter 13 and verse 22. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all of my will. Verse 22. Now pick it up in verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, or he died, in other words. So we discover in this two things about David that God says about him. Now, it's all right to have people say stuff about you. It's another thing when God's saying things about you. You need to value what God is saying about you, okay? and what, the, what heaven is saying about you. So the first thing tonight is, you know, if you've never received Jesus Christ, never given your life to Jesus Christ, what God is saying is you don't belong in his family. But when you respond to Jesus Christ, when you receive Jesus Christ, begin to trust him and commit your life to him, when you recognize I've lived a life apart from God and you begin to connect with him, God writes your name in his book and he says some different things about you. He says, this is my son, this is my daughter, I love them. So we can divide the world up into two groups of people, those who are in God's family and those who potentially are in God's family. And the way that changes is that the people who are in God's family make him known. So we saw two things here. Now, let me just touch on these. We've, each week, we've just reinforced them. The first thing is, David was a man after the heart of God. Now, we often read the statement, don't have an idea what it means. What, what it means is this. It means David passionately desired to know what God is like. Now, you can have your own ideas of God, and they will limit how you can walk with God. But David made it a personal pursuit to actually discover what God is like. Now, now what happened was, in, in the season, in his first season in his life, when no one saw him, 
He learned how to worship God and access the presence of God and listen to the voice of God. And he discovered things that God liked. In fact, here's it now, and, and often we don't realize this, but in the day, because we've got all the Bible there, you say, but when he was living, only a part of it had been written. We can look back, and well, we know so much now, he didn't know that much. But what he did was, he so connected with the heart of God, he looked at all of the religious order, the way things were done, the way God had set it up, and he was able to, and now Moses had set it up. Moses, the mighty man of God who delivered Israel. Moses, the great giant in Israel's history. He had set up all these ways of worshiping God according to how God had directed him. You know what David found? He found, actually, that's not really what God is after. Now, you've got to be pretty bold if you can look at what's existing and be able to say, actually, that's not really what God is after. There's something else he's after. It's temporary. But there's actually something different that he's got in mind. Now that, how did he find that out? Well, he found the heart of God. He found what God desires. He found what God delights in. And he was able to write it down in the Psalms. If you search the word of God, you'll find out things God really delights in and desires. Now, when you begin to discover what he desires and delights, you begin to live a life radically different to everyone around you. See? Most people thought God was happy if they turned up three times a year to the celebrations and went to church every week. He said, that's not the picture. God is actually after something. He's after passionate worshipers who will love him and advance his kingdom. He discovered what God likes and dislikes. Have you discovered that? Have you actually taken time to find out what God really switches on about? See, when you do, you begin to be a person after the heart of God. And you can't get it all off a platform. You've got to actually discover it through time in the word of God and time in prayer and worshiping him and waiting on him. And then he begins to share things with you. The Lord shared some things with me. And, and, and it's like, it just, oh, wow, stunning. See, see this, is, this is what David was like. He was a man who spent a lot of time pursuing God when no one was looking. And he did that up to the time he was 17. So when David was 17, he was encountering God and discovering things about God that no one else knew in his day. How about that? And that wasn't just where his life started. He actually continued all his life pursuing what God is like, and then he totally reformed everything religious in the nation. I believe we're in a season and an hour when there's a massive reformation taking place in the way people who are connected to God, think about God, think about church, think about what they're called to do. Or you're a part of a group of people that just carries on. I'm happy to just do my little bit and go on. I want to be at the cutting edge of what God is doing in the hour today. Because David lived back there. The Bible says David was a man after the heart of God, not only after his heart, but would be willing to do what God wanted him to do in his day. And so it says, the first thing was, he had a heart after God. Second thing is, he served his generation by the will of God. Now, he didn't serve his generation by continuing what they did in Moses' day. He served his generation by discovering what God wanted him to do in the day he lived, and then he passionately pursued doing that. And that has not changed. We're in the 21st century. God is still looking for people who will have a heart to know him. You say, I don't know, and all seems so hard. No, it isn't hard. You're in a church where there's a, 
Uh, many, many gifted people can help you connect with God and begin to grow in your relationship with God. But ultimately, it's got to be your desire. You have to want to. He's wanting you to. He's got things to share with you. Okay? And then out of that flows the fulfillment of destiny. He, he served his generation by the will of God. Destiny means I discover what God has called me personally to do. What is my assignment in life what should I be doing with my life? What has God called me to do? Now, if you can't answer that, you're in trouble. You're drifting. And David discovered what God wanted him to do in his day, and God had many things for him to do. He totally reformed the whole way worship was done. Even to this day, there are a lot of people get upset about shouting, laughing, jumping, leaping, crying, weeping, expressiveness in the church. But David saw that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before anyone else did. How did he get it? He touched the heart of God and found what God really likes. God likes extravagant worship. He likes expressive, passionate people. He loves that. If he loves that, I'm, I want to be that kind of person. And, and so he discovered in his day what he should do. In his day, he was called to be a reformer. Now, you may not reform the world, but there's certainly some part of this community God wants you to make a difference with your life. So we're then looking now into what David was like. And we saw there were some seasons in his life that each of the cities that he dwelt in was a season in his life. So the first one we looked at was, anyone remember it? Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a season where he was unknown. Bethlehem, he lived in Bethlehem uh, from naught to about 17. He was born there, grew up there to about the age of 17. In the place of Bethlehem, it's always the season in our life where no one is looking what's going on. And in that season, you are developing your relationship with God and learning to serve and be faithful in small things with no one looking. Now, a lot of, a lot of people need someone to you know, make it your room done. Ah, you've got to stand over and try to get them to do that. Listen, that, that's not the deal. David learned what to do. He learned how to fulfill small tasks faithfully. And so uh, we saw some things. And then, then the second place we saw was the season of promotion. Let's go back into one, the Old Testament again, 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And uh, it, it was his time of promotion. And so they were looking to, God was, it was his point where God was wanting promotion. We learned that promotion comes from the Lord. And how did he get promoted? He didn't say, listen, what I can do. Someone else said, look, what is what I notice about this young guy? You remember what we saw that he could do? And these were the gifting, these were the things we found in 1 Samuel 16, 18. He was skillful in playing. He developed musical skill. What are you doing to develop your skills? Have you got anything to offer? If you have potentially an ability in an area and don't develop it and remain unskilled, what you can contribute there diminishes. You are called by God to become excellent in whatever skill or ability or thing he's put in your heart as a gifting. Develop it. It's your responsibility to develop. They called him out and they said, man, he's really excellent in playing an instrument. He's a mighty man of valor. He's got courage. He's developed his character. He's not afraid to stand up and speak out. Notice it said there, he was a man of war. He had a fighting spirit. If something rises up, you can guarantee he'll stand up and challenge it. And how did they know that? They'd heard of what he'd done. A bear came, he took on the bear. A lion came, he took on the lion in hand-to-hand combat. We see these characteristics developed when no one saw but God. So, so what giants 
are you facing in your life when no one is looking but God? Perhaps it's a giant of lust. Perhaps it's a giant of fear. Perhaps it's a giant of shame. Maybe a giant of rejection. Whatever it is, then challenge that giant and do what David said. When the bear tried to get me, I took a hold of him and I slew him. And the Lord helped me. You never solve issues or problems in life if you aren't willing to face them and stand up to them. And then it says he was a, uh, a prudent in speaking. He was very careful in how he spoke. He had developed wisdom, words that actually created impressions and touched people's lives. He spoke wisely. He acted wisely. And it said there he looked good. He presented himself well. And then it said the Lord is with him. They were aware that he carried the presence of God in his life. Now, isn't that amazing if others could say that about you? See? If your face comes up, an impression of what you're like will come up. And he established credibility by the time he was 17. How about that? So what have you established about your name and your reputation by this stage in your life? If people were to use your name, what would they say? Oh, he's a joker. Whoa, that'll take you a long way. Oh, well, man, he's the life and soul of the party. He can drink everyone under the table. That'll take you a long way too. But not right on the right path. So what are you establishing in your life that you want to be known for. So when your name is mentioned, people say, oh, I know that one. Yeah, boy, he's courageous. You want to hear how he speaks. The Bible says a good name is more to be desired than silver or gold. More desirable to have a reputation that's good and honorable than anything else. So then came the season of promotion, and he was promoted, and uh, he came into a place of immense favor. And, of course, that place of immense favor was also uh, a place where his eyes, you know, everyone's eyes were on him. And we saw that he got promoted. He slew Goliath. Suddenly he's got national prominence. He suddenly emerges to fame. He has overnight success. 17 years, and he becomes an overnight success. Now, the thing is this, that whether if praise... If you are impacted by the praises of people, you will also be impacted by their criticisms. When people are speaking well of you, it's a real test on your character as to whether you'll give honor to the Lord for where you, how you got where you got. And we need to be able to actually acknowledge what we've done, but give the Lord the credit. He enabled me. Notice what David said, the Lord who helped me slay the lion and the bear, will also help me slay this giant. See that he's constantly aware that God is helping him. Uh, He's able to give honor to the Lord. Now, I wonder how how much you're able to honor the Lord for the things you've accomplished in your life. See, having a heart that's grateful will help you in that area. Now, I want to move on to the next season because seasons in life shift. People are fickle and they change. But even spite of fact, people change. God always is so consistent. So now look at 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19, and uh, let's have a look. Uh, Verse 8. Uh, Verse 8, there was a war again. David went out and fought the Philistines and struck them a mighty blow, and they fled from him. So notice he's still on a winning streak. He's just gone out and won a battle. Now he comes into what we call the cave of Adullam. We'll see that in a moment. The cave of Adullam is the season where you are misunderstood and rejected and treated unfairly. Misunderstandings, rejection, injustice. Everyone who's going to become a king, a man or woman of God, will have times 
when you are in the cave of Adullam. Notice what straight away happened. He's just gone out and done something good. And now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house. David was ministering with his music. And then Saul tried to kill him. Verse 11, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him and said, kill him, kill him. And he said, and David, Michael, David's wife told him, if you don't save your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. And so he had to get out and to flee. So you notice now he's gone from being the hero of the nation to experiencing some demotion, and now they just plumb outright want to kill him. He is rejected, he's misunderstood, and he faces tremendous injustices, not one, but many times. Now I want you to see how he handles it, because uh, the message of misunderstanding is, you don't understand me. I've heard lots of people say that. Young people say, but you just don't understand No, you're not making yourself clear. Misunderstanding is a part of life. And you have to be able to handle it and not need to have people understand you. We all want someone to understand us. But you you don't understand. You need to understand. What I'm saying is you need to understand me. No, 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 no. Actually, you're going to have times in life where people don't understand you and totally get it wrong. Now, what goes in your heart? What happens in your life when you're having that season? You know what happens to us? We want to be understood. So we want to rise up and now begin to contend so people can understand us. Rather than saying, it's okay that God understands. And I can rest in him. If I need to, I can communicate. I've been in times where it's like, it didn't matter what what I said, it just got worse and worse. I realized, zip your lip. But you don't understand, my intentions are pure. I'm just trying. Listen, zip, you're just making it worse. Just don't try and explain yourself and justify yourself. It will get worse. The Lord's the justifier. He He can come on your case and sort it out. And the same people who misunderstand you and hate you today can turn around tomorrow and think you're wonderful. And they really now think they understand you. But they don't. You don't have to be understood by everyone. Just let it go. Let it go needing to be understood. Just bring your issues to God. See? Don't understand. Second one's rejection. So rejection has a message. Nobody cares about me. I've heard lots of people say that. I used to say it myself. Inside my head all the time. You don't understand. Nobody cares. It's actually not true. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an attack on your inner man where you experience the pain, the feeling, and the grief that goes with being rejected. You don't fit in. It appears like people don't want you. That's painful. No one wants that experience. How many have had it already in their life a few times? Yeah, see, it's a life experience. How many have been misunderstood a few times? It's a life. Come on, get used to it. And there's sometimes when God actually cranks it up and you got all of it happening all at once. It's like nobody understands you. You're now all alone. Nobody even wants to talk to you. The phone that rang, the text that came have all stopped. Now you are a reject. <laughs> because that's almost like a teenager's terror of being a reject. No matter what happens, I've got to not be a reject. I have to, have, I have to fit in. I have to be accepted. No, you don't. You just need to actually go deeper into God. 
You need to actually obtain your identity and your acceptance through your connection with God, and then it makes you secure. So if people don't understand you, it's not a problem. If they reject you, it's not a problem. You're secure within from the praise of people or the criticism of people. And so how is God and how on earth is God going to put that into your life? Come on, just think about it. Well, we'll have an altar call and come up and you can pray for understanding or pray for this thing. You know, no, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. God sets up for you opportunities to be rejected and misunderstood to give you a chance to learn how to handle those things you need to be the man God wants you to be or the woman God wants you to be. So you should be saying, bring it on, God. Rather than, <laughs> they don't like me. They just, nobody spoke to me. Well, did you speak to anyone? See, see, when, you, when you've got this issue of needing to be understood or, or this issue of rejection, what, what you're doing is you're placing a demand. People have got to come through for me. You, it's your job to understand me. It's your job to care for me. Now, listen, that's actually disempowering yourself. It isn't their job to do anything like that. It's your job to learn how to face rejection and misunderstanding. And, of course, the one that really gets people is injustice. The message of injustice, it's not fair. I've heard my kids say that many times. You understand it's not fair. How many have said that a few times? If I say it, will I be rejected? <laughs> See, so, but it's not fair. So that's actually the message of injustice. When we're treated unfairly. Now notice what David had done. David had just gone out and he defeated the, the major enemy that Israel had. And now they're rejecting him. That's not fair. He's just gone out to war, fought a battle. And he comes back and now the king, you come back to the king. Oh, you should really understand me now and understand I've got a king inside me. And you should really, really love me and embrace me. And instead of that, Saul picks up a spear, says, I'm going to stick that little boy. Now, we, maybe people don't throw spears, but they do hurl words. And words can be like spears. They're like arrows, the Bible says, that come into you and hurt you. So how many can identify with being misunderstood, rejected and felt unwanted and injustice. It's not been fair how I've been treated. Is anyone here who's exempt from that? Just obviously not old enough to have experienced much of life yet. Okay, so it's, can we all can see it's part of life, but actually it's part of life you must experience to grow as a man or woman of God. And God is watching in that season what you do. He watches what you do. So there's things to learn and things to go. Once you see the first thing that David did, the moment this thing came and he realized he's going to lose his life if he stayed where he did. Now, I, I believe he's in a highly, what you'd call a dysfunctional, abusive environment. And he did the thing that all people should do in that, leave it. He fled from it. God does not expect you to stay in an environment destructive to your potential in your life. You have to position yourself in the place where you are actually able to grow and go forward. So sometimes we have to flee out of things. Sometimes you've actually got to say no. If you're in a group or in a crowd, and that, that crowd, can, and sometimes they'll be like dogs, they'll just turn on one and bite and devour and put them down. If you're in that, you've got to get out of that crowd. That's not good for your health. So sometimes you have to actually move away from situations. But this is what you do need to do. And it says, verse 18, David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. 
Now, now what you've got to understand is the significance of this is Samuel was the voice of God to the nation at that time. Samuel carried an anointing and a presence that impacted the whole nation at his day. So what it tells us then is he ran into the presence of God when he suffered injustice, rejection, and misunderstanding. Where do you go? Do you go angry and nut off? Do you isolate and get full of self-pity? Have a pity party and there you are all on your own. You've invited no one and no one wants to come. I've been there many times. Depression comes with it. Angry at yourself, angry at what's happened, feeling powerless. Self-destructive thoughts come. It's a terrible thing, really. But you see, he didn't do that. He ran in to the presence of God. He ran in to the presence of God to hear fresh from God for his life. The one thing you have to learn to do when you face misunderstandings, rejection, and injustice is reach into the presence of God. You've got to go alone with God and begin to start to worship him. Let your griefs, your sorrows, your injustice go before him until you come to the place of rest in him and then ask him, what should I do? Most people angrily react. They rebel. They angrily react. They get sulky. They get, uh, you know, get uh, self-pity. They go out and have a drink, start to drink, start to smoke, start to do things. Now, you'll find, you have a look at a lot of the issues that young people struggle with now. They're rooted in rejection, injustice, and misunderstanding. And instead of turning into God, they begin to turn in and hate themselves and then try and find a way of comforting through drugs or alcohol or sexual relationships, all kinds of stuff like that. You have to learn consciously to choose to come with your pain to the Lord. And that was the thing that he did. In Psalm, I may have it written down here somewhere, in Psalm 142 and verse 4, it says this. It says that uh, I look to the left and the right, and look at this. This is David. No man cared for my soul. And then he came into the presence of God and discovered intimacy and God's love and acceptance for him. See, how are you going to reach into the love of God when you desperately need to be loved? Don't reach for people. Reach into God and begin to start opening your heart to him. I can remember hours uh, over a period of long time uh, in facing emotional pain and grief, learning how to worship God and to express the pain and grief of the heart and come in and lay before him, sometimes on my face weeping, uh, but it just took time. And then I'd begin to start to encounter his, his presence, hear his words. He'd tell me what to do. Now, you understand, the, the situations were painful. I wouldn't want to go through most of those again, but they... They drove me to find and discover God in a deeper way. You have, to, you have to do that. Otherwise, whenever there's misunderstanding, you'll have to prove you're right. Whenever you're rejected, you'll react and reject others. Whenever you have injustice, you'll angrily try to beat the others down or to prove you're right. Instead of being able to come into the Lord and get wisdom, what to do? God will give you the wisdom, but you've got to learn how to connect to him when you're in pain. Because most of us, when we're in pain... We're just overwhelmed by the pain. We'll get some music, go alone with God, begin to play music, and select songs that will work for you. Now, that's what I was talking before about songs being a way. Music is a way. It's a language of the soul. So there's certain songs will express emotions and feelings and, and even the cry of the heart. Sometimes when we're hurt, we don't, we, hard to put it in words. What's wrong? Uh, I don't know. 
You know, well, now you've got to do better than that. It's your job to communicate what's in your heart. You've got to take time to get what's in your heart out. And so I found, like, for example, that one, that song, Lord, You're My Healer. Now, God can heal you in any part of your life. It's not just physical healing. Now, the guy who wrote that song wrote it in the midst of being riddled with cancer, with death reports around his life, and he wrote, Lord, You're My Healer. So that song was birthed out of deep conflict where a person made a decision to come to God and arise with faith. Do you think he cried? I'm sure he cried. Do you think he wept? Do you think he felt injustice? I'm so young. Do you think he felt rejected? I'm sure he felt all of those things, but he decided to turn it in towards God, creatively expressed his heart in a song. So a song like that is not like ordinary music. It carries with us something from the spirit of a man that when you begin to play it and allow it to come around, suddenly you begin to find it's you're weeping because it's saying what's in your heart that you can't quite get the right words for. I find I can't always get the words. But music can help. Praying in tongues can help. And, And spending time in the presence of God, loving on him and communicating with him, it helps to unload the heart and the emotions and begin to develop a much deeper trust in the Lord. If you've ever had a broken relationship and it breaks your heart, where will you go? I remember my heart being broken over a broken relationship and night after night weeping with grief and struggling to find God in the middle of it. But this is part of the making of a person of God. You have to learn how to handle the issues of life instead of whimpering and rolling over and becoming a victim and poor me you begin to pursue God in the middle of it. And then you start to build in your life the qualities that are needed to prepare you for your next season. God is not going to allow these things. You go through the water, it'll not overwhelm you. Go through the fire, it'll not consume you because the Lord will help you. See, I know that verse that comes out of Isaiah because I needed that one time when the waters were overwhelming and the fire looked like it was going to burn me to the ground. And then I heard God saying, I'm with you. I will hold your hand. I'll help you. That's not a verse for me. That's a reality. Understand that? Now, that's how you become made as a man of God. You, you have experiences and what God is watching. All heaven is watching. What will you do with the lemon life gave you? Become bitter and sour turn away, get disappointed, rejected, overwhelmed, offended? Or will you just turn into God and become something sweet for others? No shortcuts. No shortcuts. No shortcuts to the making of a man or woman of God. This is how it takes place. That's why we have really so few people who actually can make influence or make great changes because there's a price to pay in your personal life. That God's looking for you. You're the one. You're the one he's got his eye on. All heaven's got their eye on you right now. In the challenge you're facing, the lion that's seeking to intimidate you, the bear that's crushing you, all of heaven is watching whether you'll reach to the Lord and overcome that through his ability in you. And I can pre- we can preach messages. Anna can ring you up and text you. You can be encouraged, everything. But at bottom line, it comes down, what will you choose when these things come to you? 
And David chose to go straight into the presence of God. Look in 1 Samuel 22. David then departed there and escaped into the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down. Everyone who was in distress and debt, everyone who was discontented, gathered to him. And he became captain over them, about 400 of them. Let me just give you a couple of the lessons you need to learn because I'm starting to run out of time now. There's some lessons to be learned. He went into the cave. So the cave of Adullam is the season of your life, which is like a cave. In, in the Bible, nat- natural things often picture spiritual realities. To be in a cave means you've withdrawn from everyone. You're in a place you're really lonely, and it's dark, and it's cold, and you're miserable. Cave time. And everyone in their life has some cave time. Everyone. Cave time is, is a, it's not a nice season. It doesn't need to last. It'll only last as long as it's needed for your life to turn and change and develop, and then you're out of your cave. Even Elijah went into a cave. God said, what are you doing here? Oh, oh, he starts coming up with all these things. And then God spoke to him in a quiet voice, Elijah, Elijah, and gave him fresh mandate and direction. See, so the cave is an important time in our life. What we do means either we stay in there and rot in there, or we actually grow and come out of it, the cave of Adullam. So the cave of Adullam is a time to deepen your dependency on the Lord. Notice that David did something else. The tendency is in rejection and misunderstanding and injustice to become totally involved in yourself. It's all about me. And then you let it all hang out. Everyone knows you're in a bad place. Listen, this is not how you handle it. There's a part you must bring before the Lord. And then you, but you, the thing that will get you out of it is if you do things Dave did. He went into the presence of the Lord. Second thing was he maintained concern for others. Notice he went and he got his parents and family and bought them too because he was concerned that they would be killed. Even in his own pain, he, he stopped to think about what could happen to his family and was concerned about his family's welfare. We find, you read on a little bit further, there was a, another city called Keilah, and uh, the people were being marauded by the Philistines. He said, Lord, I want to help them. See, there's something in his heart. Kingship's in his heart. It's in his heart. It's in his heart. He saw these people. He's, ah, I can't do something about it. God, just give me a, a yes, and I'll go help him. See, he didn't act impulsively. He asked God, inquired of God, and got direction. God said, go up. And his men said, don't do that. Listen, listen, we've got enough problems of our own. Why go making more problems, stirring up the Philistines and trying to help some people? What are they to us anyway? Listen, David had a different heart. He carried in him the heart of a king. And a king, no matter what pain they're going through, is still thinking how they can do what God called them to do. And I've discovered this over the years. Most people I've watched quit, quit when the pain came instead of actually bringing it to God and then staying where they ought to stay and doing what God said for them to do. They quit. Seen youth leaders quit, pastors quit, people quit marriages, people quit all kinds of things. They quit when they're in pain rather than use the pain as an opportunity to fire them into the presence of God, learn some new things and still keep looking out. You've got to keep looking out or you'll be consumed with your problems. So he helped his family. He helped these people. And did he get thanked for his help? Now, listen to this. The Bible says Saul heard where he was 
Now, now you see, he, he delivered the city, and after he's delivered the city, everyone says, oh, you're great, come on in, Dave, we love you. Dave, you're a great guy, come on in, bring your soldiers out, man, we're going to have a feast for you. Saul heard about it, brought his armies towards them, and David did this, Lord, Lord, you know what people are like, what are they going to do? Are they going to look after me, or are they going to betray me? Are they going to stand with me against Saul now I've helped them out, or are they going to turn on me like dogs? God said, they're going to turn on you like dogs. He said, you better get out. You understand, he never needed the favor of people to make his decisions. People are fickle. People are fickle. Today they love you, tomorrow they've got an issue. Today you're wonderful, tomorrow they said something behind your back. That's people. Get over it, it's life. But what you need to do is say, God, what should I do? Now listen. In the situation, he asked God whether these people would be his friends or not. It's quite good for you to talk to God about your friends. Some people look like they're friends. They all say nice things to you today, but tomorrow they could deliver you up just as easily. So you've got to listen to what God is saying about people. He says some things, and he can tell you what's in people's heart because he knows what's in their heart. I've known people go into business with someone and think, what, did you ask God to go into that or not? They had their mind made up, they went in, their wife was trying to warn them, later on it was a disaster. They never stopped to listen. David listened. He listened, and that got him out of a potential trap that could have taken his life. You see, this comes out of, in the midst of his pain and his sorrow, he came into the presence of God to learn how to express to the Lord, and then secondly, he actually asked God what to do. He got involved with people helping them, but he never let his life be delivered into their hands. And Jesus was the same. It says he didn't commit himself to these people who thought he was wonderful because of the miracles because he knew what was in their heart. He knew they'd deliver him up. The people that are saying you're wonderful today could tomorrow deliver you up and betray you. You've got to listen to God and let your roots go into God and accept sometimes people do things that hurt us. It's part of life. But when you set in the Lord, you can get over injustice, over rejection, over these things that have happened. So we see there what he did. He didn't react. He just let, he didn't get angry with them. He didn't stand there. Listen, well, you lot, you know what you can do. I've just helped you out and saved you, and this is how you're going to treat me. They didn't even know what was in their own heart, but God did. And positioned David so he never had to have that issue. There's an awful lot of pain you could, dis- you could free yourself from and not have to face if you ask God about relationships before entering in too deeply to them. God knows how people will react under pressure. So why don't you ask him if he wants you involved in partnerships or relationships or ask his direction because he knows what they will be like. He knows how they'll respond. You've got to listen to him when it comes to these things. I've had over the years all people saying, lots of people say lovely, sweet things, but the Lord said, don't trust that person because there's this, this, and this in their heart, and when the pressure comes, this is what will come out. You say, oh, that's not very loving. No, that's very wise. See, we're to love the world. That means you do what's best for them. You act in a way that's godly towards them. But trust everyone? No way. You're not called to trust everyone. You're called to give trust to people who prove trustworthy. And God has got a few things to say about that. I tell young people, you would save an awful lot of pain in your coming life if you could handle your issues the way David did. He went into the presence of God, discovered and a place of comfort and friendship with God that enabled him to get over injustice, misunderstanding, and rejection. 
In the middle of his own pain, he still had the heart to fulfill his course and do care for people and help them. And he listened to God before entering into any relationships, and it saved him. The last thing that happens is, and, and I won't go into these stories, but there were two opportunities. Someone really treated him badly, and he was about to go kill them, and he listened to good advice. And then thanked them. Thanked them for advising him well. He ended up marrying the lady because she gave such good godly advice. There's a second situation where he's in a cave with Saul and his friends around him said, listen, this is the day that God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Why don't you get up and kill him now? Get this over with. You'll become the king. Saul's out of the way. Our problems have stopped. He said, God forbid that I should take his life. He refused to touch someone who had treated him justly. He said, God set him in that place. Let God sort him out. And God saw that out of chart. You know, twice David faced that same test. And the crowd was saying, this is what the crowd said. The crowd said, oh, now's your chance. Get him. This will be over. Knock him out of your way, and then it'll be over. And David said, no, the Lord forbid I should do such a thing. I'm trusting God to get me where he wants me to get. That brings us to the final thing, and it's this. No man can steal your destiny. But you can mess it up by not responding to God. Saul was never able to kill him in spite of trying and using all these soldiers and every, every, everything at his disposal could never kill David. There's no one can stop you getting where God wants you to get. But you can stop yourself by getting wrong attitudes and not responding right to God. The season of misunderstanding rejection does not last forever, but it's preparing a king for his next place in the work of God. If you're going through that, why don't you make a decision? I'm going to change how I respond to it and behave differently. I'm going to do these two things. One, I'm going to bring what I have to the Lord and press into his presence to listen to him, to hear his words, to be encouraged in my faith. I'm going to release and bless the people that have done this. And I'm going to keep focusing on my commitment to the destiny and call of God. I will continue to help people. I won't become bitter. There have been times when I have come through that gateway there, overwhelmed with personal grief at what was happening in my life. And, and I made a statement to the Lord in the hundred meters from that, that uh, roundabout there through to that gate. When I cross that gate, I'm going to fulfill my call and I expect you to take all the grief from me and anoint me to do what I need to be doing. See, God notices that kind of thing. He no you didn't notice that, but God did. You understand? You couldn't have done anything about the pain or couldn't have anything to help about it. I could have quit and given up and been overwhelmed. But you and I stood together, pushed into God, and said, we'll still continue to serve the way we're called to serve. That's the heart of a king. It's the heart of David. Jesus was called the son of David. That's the kind of man that David was. Jesus was even identified with him. Same kind of person, same spirit.